Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Hello, good evening and welcome to uh, Love the Words here on East Leeds FM at the now regular time of 5.30 um, every Tuesday evening. Sometimes it's a two-hour show, occasionally it's a one-hour show, um, a mixture of new material and archive material. Tonight we have an interview with a luminary of community arts, participatory arts in the UK and abroad, Francois Matarasso. That's first up. After that, an interview with Joe Williams, the poet, about his new pamphlet, This Is Virus, which is very much born of now. After that, a repeat of the podcast that Malika Booker, the poets, did with us back in the earlier part of the year for Leeds Lit Fest. And finally, the third instalment of Radio Free Kinsley. So, a full two hours tonight. We love the words. Remember, you can, uh, you can listen again to this in perpetuity or to any of our programmes here on East Leeds FM. It was a dark day in Dallas, November 63 A day that would live on in infamy President Kennedy was a rattle So good evening and welcome to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM And uh, lots in the programme tonight But first off we're talking to someone who's been very active in the field of community arts, participatory arts over the years, has written a fantastic book, which I think is almost a textbook for, for us all involved in this work, A Restless Art, and he'll be talking hopefully about that a bit later on. Um, but uh, hello, Francois Matarasso, are you there? I am. Hello. Nice to meet you, Peter. Thanks so much for joining us um, this evening and this is a series of interviews uh, that I'm doing with people who um, are shapers really in, in the world of, of community art, participatory arts, people who often perhaps don't push themselves forward but are instrumental in, 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 in make things happen. Um, but first of all, yes, Francois, what, how, what, how do you what do you call yourself? If you're at a party with people, if you ever go to parties, I try to avoid them, especially if we don't, we don't go at the moment. But if you were with a group of people who, who are not in this world, as it were, and they ask you what you do, what do you say? When I was young, I used to wish I was an accountant because it would be so much easier to answer that question and then move the conversation on. I used to say I was a community artist or a community arts worker. Now I would say the same thing, but I would add writer to that. I think I've always preferred the title community arts worker rather than community artist, because in many ways I don't regard myself as an artist. I only ever can think of myself as a community artist in the sense that I only ever do, I only ever make art with other people. So that's what I do. 
And do do people say what's community arts then, or do you think these days people have more of an idea of what it is? Well, that was why when I was young, I wanted to be an accountant. Not not actually to to be an accountant, but to say I could as an accountant because when I was young, people didn't know. So I'm talking the beginning of the 1980s. Largely, people didn't know community arts was. 10, maybe 15 years old, um, and a, it was still a very new idea. Um, but I, today, uh, I, I don't find it's a problem at all. And that's, that's very interesting, and I think the, that seems to be the thrust of your book, A Restless Art, the fact that, that uh, we've earned in this work a kind of... Uh, yeah, a, a, a more of a familiarity, perhaps, in, in, in the cultural scene. But we will come, we will come onto that later on. But first of all, Francois, so how did you start it in this world of community arts? Um, it was genuinely a stroke of luck. I was uh, putting on a play uh, with some out-of-work actors in London in 1981, and... I wanted to get a poster printed. Somebody told me there was a community print shop. So I went there and it was run by Greenwich Mural Workshop. Um, I went there and I said, can you print this poster for me? And that's the first time that I heard anyone say the classic line of community art, which is, no, we can't, help, we can't print it for you, but we can help you to do it for yourself. And so I, I spent the day there learning how to screen print. And while my prints were, were waiting to dry, we we're having a cup of tea. And the two print workers there were reading applications for a job as a community art apprentice. And I really liked them and I liked what I'd been doing all day. And so before I left with my posters, um, I wrote a letter of application and I ended up getting the job. So. It was a stroke of luck because if I'd seen a job advertised called Community Arts Apprentice, I wouldn't possibly, I, I would never have applied for, for something like that. I wouldn't even have known what it was. So that's how I started. And I did a year with Greenwich Mural Workshop learning how to run a community print shop and learning how to, to paint murals and uh, went on from there. So tell me at the time, this is early, the early 1980s, mid 1980s in London, what was the, what was the world of, of community arts like in those days, in that place? Um, it was great. I, I felt very comfortable very quickly. I, I learned a lot as you do when you're young. I met some really nice people. Um, I kind of uh, it was a it was a it's difficult I I think it's difficult probably now to imagine that world if if you're younger because one of the reasons community print shops were important was because printing was a way to get alternative messages and ideas across because there wasn't any other platform at the time there were three tv channels um the the newspapers and, and print media were completely out of out of reach 
the mere idea that at the time there were alternative bookshops tells you something about what that culture was like. There were alternative bookshops because there had to be alternative bookshops because a lot of the mainstream bookshops wouldn't stock certain kinds of, of writing. Um, <clears throat> it was also the, the year of the Falklands War um, and that was a, a very powerful formative experience it was also it was the year of the um uh the riots and that also was an important part of, of growing up the london riots in brixton and elsewhere um so yeah you you those experiences shape a lot of how you understand uh art politics people communities i was i had never lived in a in a um, in a city before my parents were farmers um, and so even being in London was an exciting stimulating uh, thing but as I say it, I mean there's that famous line from L.P. Hartley's book The Go-Between the past is another country they do things differently there and that's absolutely true about the 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 years I spent in London in the in the early eighties. It's another country. And did you have a sense then that you'd found your place? You found your that you'd found your people, as it were, when you were in that uh, uh, in that community arts world, or, uh, or did that grow more slowly as time went on? No, I think it clicked straight away. I I felt completely comfortable and I I have never thought of doing anything else since um I had a I had a, a gap where I wrote another play I mean I, essentially the reason I was writing plays because I wanted to be a writer at that stage and I'd written a couple of novels that fortunately uh nobody ever had to put up with reading <laughs> and uh I gradually worked out that I wasn't that kind of writer I had no talent for fiction or for theatre. Um, and uh, so the, after that summer, uh, when, I, when I wrote a play about the Falklands War, um, I, my uh, colleagues at Grand Channel Workshop, because it was a one-year contract, so I'd had to, to leave at the end of it. The apprenticeship was one year. Uh, they had kindly sent me a bunch of, of uh job adverts and i i applied for a job in in newark in nottinghamshire uh in 1982 the end of 1982 and uh i got that and that was in some ways i thought understood even at the time that's really where i start to learn i started to learn how to do community arts because i was a, a worker on my own a community arts worker on my own I had a room in a community centre in a housing estate of 10,000 people. And I had a completely blank page, but it meant that I had to learn everything from the people around me. And I did, and they were brilliant. And I, I love them to this day. Mm. And that's quite, uh, that would be quite rare these days, I think, to be given a com complete carte blanche like that. I think we, we now live in a world where we have to be quite specific about what we, we want to do and what we want to achieve and how we're going to achieve them. 
Um, there must be something, as you're suggesting, to be said for that, for learning that way uh, and, and, and coming up with your own concepts, I guess, for what to do in that community. What did you do, actually? Uh, well, the first thing I did was set up a community print shop because that's what the Tenants Association had said they wanted. Um, but we very, I mean, within a year, we'd, we'd learned that there wasn't enough need or demand for that so the the following after i'd been there about um uh i've been there about four or five months we did a kind of summer festival where we tried a bunch of different things brought in some artists who knew how to do do things i didn't know how to do and spent the easter holidays doing a series of of taster experiments and and things of that kind uh and then i learned how to do fire shows from reading engineers of the imagination the welfare state handbook and we did a fire show and we did some theater we did some uh photography work i i was lucky to that when i if i didn't have the skills to do something then i i was able to find other artists who did have those skills. So I worked with some fantastic people in those times. Um, Ross Boyd, who has sadly died, was a fantastic photographer who taught me everything I, I know about photography and who we did, a, we did a project in the summer of the miners' strike in 1984. It wasn't intended to be a project in the miners' strike, but we were doing uh, a project for, for playgroups across Newark District. Newark District at the time had a lot of, of um, pit villages. And uh, at those in those times, summer playgroups were, were absolutely standard and lots of kids never had summer holidays. They might have a, a day or, or possibly two at, at Skegness if they were lucky but a lot of kids never went anywhere. So the summer play schemes were their, were their, um, their summer holidays. So we planned to do a series of um, three-day photography workshops, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, found ourselves in the middle of the miners' strike because Nottinghamshire miners were continuing to work and being picketed by uh, miners from other parts of, of the country, including Yorkshire. and we i it's it sounds melodramatic and and i don't want to exaggerate it but i it's it's as near as i ever want to get to to feeling like you know there's a war going on around you because there were literally thousands of people on the streets of some of those villages i'm thinking of places like hollerton um and uh shouting at each other and so on and we were kind of quietly getting on with making photographs with the kids who took some extraordinary photographs uh, some of which record what was happening around them so it was a it was a huge mix of things and the uh i that's what i why i say i learned how to be a community artist um in that in that freedom and from working with with other artists who often had much better artistic skills than I did but I had the the 
I think I learned over the then and subsequently that that what I could do was come up with ideas for projects and work with people and make things happen. So, Francois, at this point, we're going to take a break for some music. Um, is there a piece of music that comes to mind for you in relation to this period in your life? I've always loved music and I listen to it all the time. Uh, the thing that strikes me thinking back to those times would be Billy Bragg and maybe a song like Days Like These, which I still find very moving. The party that became so powerful by sinking foreign boats is dreaming up new promises because promises win votes being resolute in conference the ad man's expertise the majority by their silence should pay for days like these the right to build communities is back behind closed doors between government and people stands the right arm of the law and shame upon the patriot when the mark of the bulldog breed is a family without a home and a pensioner in need those whose lives are ruled by dogma are waiting for a sign The better dead than Red Brigade are listening on the line and a liberal with a small L cries in front of the TV and another demonstration passes on to history achieve and wearing badges is not enough days like these so that was billy bragg um chosen by francois matarasso who we're talking to now as part of this series of interviews people who for whom community arts participatory arts is at the heart of their work so francois you you were we, we, we left you and you were working in Nottinghamshire in the middle of the miners' strike. The, what happened next? What was the next sort of moment of or pivotal moment in your working life? In 1988, I took on a job as regional coordinator of East Midland Shape, which was a, a regional um, charity arts organisation working partly with disabled people and partly with people living in institute in institutions of which there were many more in those uh, in those days so um, everything from uh, residential homes for, for elderly people to secure uh, psychiatric hospitals um, prisons and and those kinds of uh, institutions and I spent six years there learned a great deal again learned 
Then about more complex management of, of projects, um, but continued and, and learned a lot about disability arts and, and disability politics and so on. And um, yeah, it was a it was a very stimulating, exciting period again. And in terms of of, of, of mentors and people who were sort of influential in your working life at that time or at any time really who, who other people who come to mind who you could talk about I've been very lucky uh, I I think it's a natural thing when you're young and finding your way in a field of, of work uh, and particularly in the arts. The arts, I always think there's a... Mo Nowadays, most artists have gone to university and studied there. But historically, most artists have, have learned from other artists by being apprentices, apprentices and, and um, assistants and so on. And that tradition I, I've always really liked. I've, I've learned a lot from artists that I've worked with. Some of the the people I would mention. Um, when I when I was appointed to to set up the community arts project in uh, in Newark, I was chosen by the Tenants Association, but the Regional Arts Association was a bit wary because I was so young and inexperienced. So they put up a bit more money uh, so that I could have a mentor. It was a woman called Claire Higney at the time. She's since married, but uh, she had worked in Northamptonshire and she was a Scot and an absolutely brilliant, kind guide to me in helping me uh, to think about what I was doing. And then the reason that I, I ended up applying for the job at, at East Midland Shape did affect because the, the woman who had been running it, Anne Peter, who was a, another inspirational figure in my life, persuaded me that I should apply when she was leaving. Because it's the kind of thing where I certainly wouldn't have had the confidence to apply for a job like that if uh, she hadn't, as she would have put it at the time, you take somebody to, to the edge of a cliff and give them a shove and then they learn how to fly. Absolutely, and Anne Pika is a name that's very familiar to me from, uh, from, from that time. Um, and how, yeah, how, how sort of reinforcing, really, of your confidence to be asked to apply like that. And you obviously were there for a while. And and since then, I mean, you've 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 written a great deal um, about community arts, about about the field of community arts and participatory arts. How did you get into the the writing role? Um, after after shape. I didn't know what to do, so I went freelance, as a lot of people do at that at that point. And uh, I was lucky to meet uh, somebody who was involved with a, a consultancy group called Comedia, which was by then a kind of loose group of five or six people, and that enabled them to do things they wanted to do, largely. It was a vehicle that... that where the, the people in the group could pursue ideas uh, in a more formalized way. And that what I really wanted to do was to think about the, the value or the, 
the social impact, as I called it then, or I wouldn't do now, of participation in the arts and community arts. I wanted to think about everything that I had been doing. Um, uh, and that that gave me an opportunity to do that. And I learned how to um, put together research projects and funding and, and started doing things like, like that. And would you say that community arts and participatory arts have have lacked advocates over the years? I don't think they've lacked advocates. I think they, even in the 1980s, at meetings of community artists, we would worry about our inability to document our work and to uh, provide training for the next generation. I think what we have lacked is resources consistently and when you don't have resources but when you have fewer resources than other arts organizations but you're simultaneously expected to achieve more than other arts organizations you are on a you're trying to walk up a down escalator and that doesn't leave much time for um writing about the work for advocating um the advocacy that, that the community arts sector was always involved in was trying to uh, secure resources. It was very um, crude, in effect. It was trying to, to persuade local government, um, the regional arts associations, and others to support the work. So what, um, in, in terms of, uh, yeah, so what was the next sort of, the next moment in your, in your working life that led to a restless art? Because, you know, that's, it's a massive piece of work, really, that, that, uh, that I'm looking at the book now, sitting here in front of me. It's not a, a big, fat book, but it's, there's so much research and, and sort of love that's gone into it as well. I mean, what, what, what led to the moment where you felt you had to write that book? So in, in 1997, I published a research into the social impact of participation in the arts, and that got a lot of attention because it was the first um, substantial piece of work of its kind. Um, that opened a lot of doors for me in the sense of I, I was invited to work on other things, including quite a lot of work abroad. One of the most important projects I, I worked on then came directly out of that. It was a Belgian foundation that asked me to work on a community heritage program in four countries in Southeast Europe, where I was really applying the principles and ideas of community art to an immensely different situation where I didn't speak languages, I was working with with and through local people. But that was very exciting to see that how these ideas and principles actually translated really well to other situations. I, I used to joke that uh, it, had, it had taught me how you do community arts when you don't have any community arts workers. Um, because there weren't there weren't any, and that what I discovered is you do it better, um, because we were directly supporting communities, villages, uh, rural villages, um, and uh, neighbourhood organisations. Uh, 
um, and giving them the funds and and giving them the support and the training and access so that they were in the in the driving seat. It was very exciting. So I during the I mean between the late nineties and and today I have done a lot of work in uh, in a range of countries. Um, I've been invited to to Latin America, to Central Asia, to Africa, um, to to evaluate programs, to 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 work on on projects and so on, um, and then of course there, there's a time when you start thinking, oh, okay, I'm I'm getting old now. I should say what I think about some of this stuff, and a restless art started with that rather naive idea that um you know okay i've got lots of things to tell people about all this stuff but i actually discovered i wasn't very interested in in what i'd done i was much more interested in the young artists i was meeting particularly in places like southern europe and eastern europe people who in some ways are in a similar position to community artists in the uk and the states and france in the late 60s and 70s, which is that they are working largely without support, but they're also working with a blank canvas, as as I had that good fortune to do at the time, in the sense that since you have no support, you also have no obligations. So the final chapter of the, of the book is called, no, sorry, the penultimate chapter of the book is called Without Help, Without Permission, because it characterizes how a lot of the best work that I see is happening now, where, where for a variety of reasons, artists and activists are not willing to uh, accept the help of the state um, in, in order to support their work. So they're finding other ways of doing it, um, or the state isn't willing to support them. Both of those things are true. But what it is giving them is a freedom of action that I I don't find uh, very often in the UK at the moment. I mean, it's 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 a it's an immensely optimistic and hopeful book, uh, and and I I loved it for the for, for that reason apart from other reasons too. But I, but I, I it it also makes um, wonderful claims for art in general. But also, and the purpose of art, and the function of it, and the reason for it. But also, obviously, for for, for community arts. And and I'm just going to read one sentence, actually, if you don't mind, because um, it's one I almost picked at random this afternoon. Participatory art reaches across those boundaries to invite new collaborations. It connects art, social work, politics, philosophy, environmentalism, therapy, community development, activism. Activism, health, aesthetics, social justice, and many other fields. Those connections, and I think it's really interesting. Those connections can be unsettling. And so, do you do you do you feel that? Uh, I mean, and you've called the book a restless art. Do you do, do you feel that we we need to be unsettling in the work that we do? And in, in my work as a community artist, if I if I know what what's going to happen, then I am not doing my job right. Because I am not leaving space for the other people in the room, the other people I'm working with, to shape what's going to happen. So, yes, I think that 
that living with restlessness, with being unsettled, is part of what this work demands, and it's absolutely what makes it exciting and life-enhancing and joyous. I'll give you an example. The, I, did a, I did a creative writing project last year um, with el elderly people in Leicester for the um, uh, NHS Trust. And I really had no idea. I hadn't, I hadn't done anything quite like that before, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do it. It was 10 two-hour workshops once a week. Um, and I had no idea what what we would do. I went on the first to the first workshop with an idea, uh, which was inspired by a book by an American artist called I Remember. Uh, sorry, an American artist called Joe Brainard. The book's called I Remember. It was published in the early seventies, um, and it's a series of statements that all begin with the words I remember. And I took that and I shared it with the people who came to that first workshop and what came out of it was brilliant but what most more importantly came out of it was they really liked doing it and everyone could do it and they wanted to do it more and in that 10 weeks together the the 12 people who were the regular attenders managed to put together a book of 100 pages modelled on Joe Brainard's um, original called I Remember Lester. And I honestly had no idea that was going to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that, that's a great example. Do you feel that um, in this country, you, you, that community arts, participatory arts, that we've become a little tame? I think the difficulty is the the art world and and to some extent other parts of the public sector have become used to funding this work but i don't believe they i don't think they really believe in it yet or trust it yet consequently they wrap it around with a much more um target and instructions uh, than would be the case say with a with a regular theater um, or a gallery and that has has produced a work which is or a way of working which is often kind of about delivery i really hate the word delivery i wrote a blog post about it saying <laughs> actually we've had billy bragg once already but it quoted a, a line from it one of his songs is called the milkman of human kindness and I, the blog post was called i am not the milkman of human kindness because i don't deliver anything you know i if if there's something you can deliver then you are not empowering the people you're working with to make choices, to grow, to decide what they want to do, to to have responsibility and autonomy in their artistic engagement, that it is that that I believe in, um, and so I I 
I can't work in that kind in the kind of way that is now very much expected. But fortunately, the age that I am, I, I kind of don't need to very much. I get away with probably a certain amount. I think it's think. Yeah, yes. I, th I mean, I, th I think I think that's really interesting what you say about the word delivery because delivery implies that there's been an order. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I ordered a new pair of spectacles that has just been, you know, a new pair of glasses that has just been delivered by somebody just now. Uh, so <laughs> that, that's, that, I guess, encapsulates where we are. But as you say, maybe it's just they don't trust us enough yet. But um, it's great to hear that in other parts of Europe and other parts of the world, uh, the, sort of, the sort of work that you're talking about is being created, however sparsely funded it is. I think we're going to have to sort of think about winding up quite soon, uh, Francois. But just, I'm just, oh, I just want to ask you about the situation now. I mean, we're obviously in, a, in an extraordinary situation. I mean, um, everything we do is about being with people and working with people in often, well, usually, always really in the same room. It, it, so what yeah what are your how where are we going to go from here in terms of community art I, I i honestly don't know i'm worrying about it a lot i'm thinking about it a lot i think the whole art world uh is currently paralyzed by the social distancing if we have to to stay two meters apart if we have to uh, have only small numbers of people gathered, then it becomes very difficult to know how we can do our work. I couldn't do the workshop, the writing workshop I did last year. I couldn't do it today. I couldn't get all of the people that I worked with would fall into the highly vulnerable um, uh, category in terms of the, the the COVID-19 mm. illness. So uh, how could I possibly ask people to come and, and join me and sit in a room and, and do something? Um, so I really don't know what the answer is going to be. And the paradox, though, is that I think we, we are going to come out of this traumatized and I, I'm always hesitant when I use that word because it sounds like a really big word, but a lot of people are going to be badly hurt by this lockdown. They will have lost people they, they loved. They will have lost work. They will have lost the sense of what their future was. They will have lost confidence. All kinds of, of problems will have occurred. Um, and I think a lot of uh, there will be a lot of, of need for the kind of work that community artists do. At the same time, there has been an extraordinary uh, surge of people making art themselves. One of the nicest projects that, that I've seen um, is the, the lamppost gallery that Slung Low have done in Leeds. Um, collecting people's, well, uh, inviting people to put a picture on their doorstep, Slung Low then take a photograph of it, have it printed and laminated and put on a on a lamppost so that when people are out for their daily exercise, 
they can see their own picture, but also all the other pictures of people in the neighborhood. I think this we're seeing a, a huge rise in social solidarity and people people are, are, are meeting neighbors that they may have lived with for a long time without ever actually having said more than hello. So I think the need is there and the desire is there. Our challenge is how do we find ways of, of responding to that creatively and humanly and with kindness. Well, again, it's a, it's a very um, heartening thought that, that the world post-COVID will need community artists, will need people like us to do stuff. Um, so we'll certainly be ready to, to take up the challenge. So, Francois, I'm just going to read out one, uh, to embarrass you even further, I'm going to read out another sentence from the book, which I thoroughly recommend. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you to tell us where people can get hold of the book and also to talk about your blog. But this, I really love this. The artistic act is a means of agency in the world, a way to speak and to be heard. When it's made by professional and non-professional artists together, it becomes an expression of shared humanity, different voices in harmony, listening to one another. It becomes a commitment to the idea that we have more in common than separates us, not least in our common human dignity. And I think that's certainly the keynote of the book, as I well, certainly what I take away from it. So tell us, yeah, how we get a hold of the book, and also tell us where we hear more from you. Okay, the the book is called A Restless Art, and there's a website with the same name arestlessart.com and if you go on that you can uh, you'll find a link to, to where you can order a paperback copy of the book from uh, an organisation called Central Books and it costs £10 plus postage but you can also download for nothing a PDF version of the book so a, a digital copy of the book because I feel strongly that all of my work has been paid for one way or another through taxes and lottery um, and foundations and so on. And so it should all be free for anyone who wants it. So everything that I've done uh, that I have the copyright of is available for people to, to download from that site. And, and there are a couple of other sites with different things, but you can find them from arrestlessart.com. Well, thanks very much, Francois. It's been great speaking to you. And, um, yeah, is there a, a – well, so let's come out of this interview before we finish it in terms of – just want to ask you about the, a piece of music to finish off with. Has anything come to mind? The, the music that I've been listening to during lockdown that gave me great delight when it suddenly appeared out of the blue is uh, – uh, Bob Dylan's song Murder Most Foul, which was uh, released, at, I think, at the end of March, beginning of April. I'm not sure exactly now because time ceases to matter at the moment. Um, it's a 17 and a half minute song about the murder of John F. Kennedy and uh, the whole story of America in the 1960s and subsequently. And I just think it's extraordinary that somebody who is nearly 80 can change his style and his art now again because uh, he's never made a, a song like this before um, and somehow at the same time just seem 
like extraordinarily in tune with the times because actually this is really the song I needed to hear right now. So thanks Bob Dylan. It was a dark day in Dallas, November 63. A day that would live on in infamy. President Kennedy was a right line. Good day to be living and a good day to die. He led to the slaughter like a sacrificial lamb. He said, wait a minute, boys, you know who I am. Of course we do, we know who you are. Then they blew off his head while he was still in the car. Shot down like a dog in broad daylight. Was a matter of timing and the timing was right. You got unpaid debts, we've come to collect. We're gonna kill you with hatred without any respect. We'll mock you and shock you, and we'll put it in your face. We've already got someone here to take your place. The day they blew out the brains of the king, thousands were watching, no one saw a thing. It happened so quickly, so quick by surprise. Right there in front of everyone's eyes Greatest magic trick ever under the sun Perfectly executed, skillfully done Wolfman, oh wolfman, oh wolfman, how Rub-a-dub-dub, it's a murder most foul Hush, little children, you'll understand The Beatles are coming, they're gonna hold your hand Slide down the banister, go get your coat Ferry across the mercy and go for the throat There's three bumps coming all dressed in rags Pick up the pieces and over the flags I'm going to Woodstock, it's the Aquarian age Then I'll go over to Altamont and sit near the stage Put your head out the window, let the good times roll There's a party going on behind the grassy knoll Stack up the bricks, pour the cement Don't say Dallas don't love you, Mr. President Put your foot in the tank and let's step on the gas Try to make it to the triple underpass Black face singer, white face clown Better not show your faces after the sun goes down I'm in the red light district like a cop on the beat Living in a nightmare on Elm Street When you're down on New Bellum, put your money in your shoe. Don't ask what your country can do for you. Cash on the bellhead, money to burn. 
Daily Plaza, make a left-hand turn I'm going down to the crossroads, gonna fly a ride The place where faith, hope and charity died Shoot him while he runs, boy, shoot him while you can See if you can shoot the invisible man Goodbye, Charlie. Goodbye, Uncle Sam. Frankly, Miss Scarlet, I don't give a damn. What is the truth? Where did it go? Ask Oswald and Ruby Leon, I know. Shut your mouth, say it, when I slow down. Business is business, and it's a murder most found. Tommy, can you hear me on the Ascent Queen? I'm riding in a long black Lincoln limousine Riding in the back seat next to my wife Heading straight on into the afterlife I'm leaning to the left, I got my head in a lap Oh Lord, I've been led into some kind of a trap Well, we ask no quarter No quarter do we give We're right down the street From the street where you live They mutilated his body and they took out his brain What more could they do? They piled on the pain But his soul was not there Where it was supposed to be at For the last 50 years They've been searching for that Freedom, oh freedom, freedom over me I hate to tell you, mister, but only dead men are free Send me some love and tell me no lie Throw the gun in the gutter and walk on by Wake up, little Susie, let's go for a drive Cross the Trinity River, let's keep hope alive Turn the radio on, don't touch the dials Parkland Hospital, only six more miles You got me dizzy, Miss Lizzie, you fill me with lead Magic bullet of yours has gone to my head I'm just a Patsy like Patsy Klein Never shot anyone from in front or behind Got blood in my eye, got blood in my ear I'm never gonna make it to the new frontier 
stupidest film I've seen like before Seen it 33 times, maybe more It's vile and deceitful, it's cruel and it's mean Ugliest thing that you ever have seen They killed him once and they killed him twice Killed him like a human sacrifice The day that they killed him someone said to me, son The age of the Antichrist has just only begun Air Force One coming in through the gate Johnson sworn in at 2.38 Let me know when you decide to throw in the towel It is what it is And it's murder most foul What's new, pussycat? What do I say? I said the soul of a nation will turn away And it's beginning to go into a slow decay And that it's 36 hours past judgment day Wolfman Jack He's speaking in tongues He's going on and on and on At the top of his lungs Play me a song, Mr. Wolfman Jack Play it for me in my long Cadillac Play me that only the good die young Take me to the place Tom Dooley was hung They say James Infirmary in the court of King James If you want to remember, you better write down the names Play it at James too. play it rather go blind Play it for the man with a telepathic mind Play John Lee Hooker, play scratch my back Play it for that strip club owner named Jack Guitar Slim going down slow Play it for me and for Marilyn Monroe Play please don't let me be misunderstood Play it for the first lady, she ain't feeling too good Play Don Henley, play Glenn Fry Take it to the limit and let it go by Play it for Kyle Wilson too Looking far, far away down Gower Avenue Play tragedy, play twilight time Take me back to Tulsa to the scene of the crime Play another one and another one bites the dust 
Laid the old rugged cross and in God we trust Ride the pink horse down that long lonesome road Stand there and wait for us to explode Play mystery train for Mr. Mystery The man who fell down dead like a rootless tree Play it for the reverend, play it for the pastor Play it for the dog that got no master Play Oscar Peterson, play Stan Getz Play Blue Sky, play Dickie Betts Play Art Pepper, Thelonious Monk Charlie Parker and all that junk All that junk and all that jazz Play something for the Birdman of Alcatraz Play Buster Keaton Play Harold Lloyd Play Bugsy Seagull Play Birdie Boy Floyd Play the numbers Play the odds Play Cry Me a River For the Lord of the Gods Play number nine, play number six Play it for Nancy and Stevie Nicks Play Nat King Cole, play Nature Boy Play down in the boondocks for Terry Malloy Play it happen one night, and one night of sin There's 12 million souls that are listening in Play Merchant of Venice, play Merchants of Death Play Stella by Starlight for Lady Macbeth Don't win, Mr. President Help's on the way Your brothers are coming There'll be hell to pay Brothers, what brothers? What's this about hell? Tell them we're waiting, keep coming. We'll get them as well. Love Field is where his plane touched down. But it never did get back up off of the ground. It was a hard act to follow. Second to none. They killed him on the altar of the rising sun Play Misty for me And that old devil moon Play Anything Goes And Memphis in June Play Lonely at the Top And Lonely at the Brave Play it for Houdini spinning around in his grave Play Jelly Roll Morton, play Lucille Play Deep in a Dream and play Driving Wheel Play Bootlight Sonata in F sharp And the key to the highway by the king of the heart Play Marching Through Georgia and Dunbarton Strum 
Let darkness and death will come when it comes They love me or leave me by the great bird town Play the bloodstained banner, play murder most foul Love the cases, love the clauses, love the adverbs and the antecedents, love the words. From ELFM. So you're listening to Love the Words on East Leeds FM. Not at Chapel FM, but from our different homes. That's what we're doing these days. That's what where we're at. But hopefully uh, we'll be back in our building later in the year when it's renovated. So I'm going to, in a minute, have the pleasure of talking to Joe Williams, the poet, about his new book, This Is Virus, which is very much born of this time. So hello, Joe. Hello. Nice to sort of be back at Chapel FM again. Well, absolutely. It's very nice to to have you back. Of course, you would have been uh, featured in Writing on Air. You, you'd actually made a, a program. Tell us a bit about that program you made for Writing on Air. The one I did there, it was what I called an audio anthology called Sound and Vision. Um, the vision being the theme of the, of the festival, of course. Uh, so what I did was I had an open call, invited people to send submissions in of uh, poems and short fiction on the theme of vision. And I collected together, uh, I think there were about 20 or so pieces in the end that we selected. Um, and we recorded them um, with uh, a couple of people in the in the Chapel FM studio um, with uh, Siobhan McMahon and Sandra Burnett, who people will know, and Steve Kendall, who perhaps people won't know because he's He's from uh, down south. Um, and yeah, we uh, the idea was I was then going to kind of splice them together with music also on the theme and um, produce this kind of 90 minutes or so programme, which I have done, but no one's got to hear it yet. But they will. And, uh, they will eventually. Really they will eventually, when Writing On Air eventually goes on air later in the year or early next year, hopefully, uh, they will hear it so that the work will not be... Uh, have been in vain but no but it's good because you... we got some really good stuff i was really pleased with uh, the quality of the submissions i've got so I'll, uh, i hope people enjoy it sure they will so this new book you've you've it's called this is virus um tell us about it I, i've got a, i've got it in my hand now it's a handsome thing and uh black and white very black very white um so tell us a bit about this is virus how did it come about well, as the title might suggest, it's uh, very much a, a topical piece. It, um, it came about when Boris Johnson sent that letter to everyone in the country. And um, I, I must admit, the first thing I did was just throw it in the recycling bin without opening it. But then there was a couple of people I saw on Facebook who were kind of playing around and doing cut-ups and things with it. And I thought, that sounds quite fun. 
I'll have a go at that. And I've been doing, over the last few months, I've done quite a bit of uh, erasure poetry. So I thought I'd, I'd take that approach. And um, I didn't really, yeah, I wasn't expecting to do anything much with it. But as I got into it, I kind of developed this kind of structure to it and realised that I could make a sort of semi-narrative dystopian piece uh, as a full sequence. And as it kind of gradually came together, I decided I'd put out this book which I've decided to self-publish in order to get it out there quickly. Um, most people who are having bu books published around this time, they think it's the worst time in the world uh, to ever do that, but I've done it deliberately, which is possibly well, it... foolish. <laughs> well, not foolish in the sense that it, it, it's, you've responded very instantly to this, this crisis we're in, and it's uh, a very... Um, original interesting piece of uh, piece of work I've, in, I've, I don't know much about erasure poetry or blackout poetry as some people call it apart from through you so first of all tell us tell us the methodology of it how do you when you see a piece of text like Boris Johnson's letter how do you set about it with this technique in mind well uh, I think just to kind of quickly explain for people don't who don't know what erasure poetry is what you do is you take a source text um, most commonly, it would be a page of a book. That's what people tend to use. So in this case, it's the letter itself and the pages of the leaflets that came with it. And what you do is um, you remove most of it, literally black it out, so that only a few words are left uh, on, on your page eventually. So that kind of creates um, your poem. So it's a kind of found poetry that comes from that source text. And uh, what I did, I think people do it in different ways. The way I uh, did it with this and how I've done it in the past is kind of firstly just kind of look through the text, the original text as a whole and look for sort of little patterns of words. You can, in this, there's quite a lot of repetition in some parts of it. Um, so you can kind of see uh, those words which kind of really spring out at you when you when you narrowly focus on little details of it, you know what I mean? So there's one. There was one page which was all about what to do if you have symptoms, mm. and the word symptoms was just everywhere. Symptoms, 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 like ten times on the page. Mm. So I kind of structured what I'd, um, what I had around that word in this case, and then you know in other in other parts there were words that um, might have been kind of just above one another, above and below on different lines. So in the original text, they didn't belong together, but by putting them together, they kind of they take on a different meaning, and that's how erasure poetry can uh, kind of generate different meanings, different themes, different intentions, perhaps than the than the original text had. And then after all that, I did it all digitally. So I kind of did it with uh, editing in my my favourite um, computer graphics program, Microsoft Paint, and. Uh, blacked it all out apart from the words that I'd uh, chosen chosen to to remain fascinating is it is, what's is there a tradition for erasure poetry um I'm not sure about the history of it I have to say that's it's something I've uh, come across for from people who tend to do a lot more experimental work uh, people might know know Winston Plows for example um, who tends to do a lot of found poetry using different methods. And this is one of the one of the classic ones. Um, I think it, uh, it lends itself quite well to this political work, particularly because um, we're already kind of used to sometimes seeing redacted documents, which is kind of the opposite way around. If you 
if you like. But yes, uh, no, it gives, gives you oh, the yeah. kind of redacting power, doesn't it? Yes, exactly, or unredacting, if you like. Um, but yeah, the actual history of of Eurasia poetry, I'd I'd like to to know more about that. I have to say, but I can't I can't say I'm an expert on that by any means. What I do know is that it's really fun to do, which is why I started um, with it in the first place. Perhaps you'd like to read us one, if 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 they do lend themselves to reading out. Yeah, well, with it being a visual work, um, you don't get the the same effect by not actually. Uh, having the book in your hands, I don't think, um, particularly because there's there's some cases where you can w read the words in different orders. Uh, your eye might kind of trick you into following different paths, that sort of thing. Um, but I'll uh, I'll make an attempt to uh, to read a version of one piece, at least. I think um, on the back of what's been going on with Dominic Cummins, I think uh, this one is probably a good one to do. It's called Stay. Important action is in order. Only leave reasons infrequently. Walk alone. Care for only you. When doing activities, minimise anyone outside. Parents may leave their children. Children their parents. <laughs> yeah, I followed that. It's, it's uh, in the text. It does work, actually, uh, in the reading, but it, it certainly does also work very well just looking at it. It's a very visual very visual experience but yeah it's great scripting read us another one. Oh, that's I'll, I'll do the one i just mentioned before the symptoms one so it's called symptoms you have virus you have symptoms continuous symptoms stay at home symptoms stay at home symptoms symptoms develop symptoms stay home symptoms have symptoms do not call you have symptoms you have emergency you have virus <laughs> it's also uh, when you see the word symptom, symptoms kind of isolated on the page, you realize what an odd word it is. Yes, yeah, one of those words, isn't it? When you, the more you repeat it, you just it kind of uh, it almost loses its meaning because the, it becomes just a sound, doesn't it? it does. Symptoms, oh, weird word. Uh, but yeah, I'll never see it in quite the same way again. But um, no, it's it's very very interesting piece of work. So. You've 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 brought this out. You've what, what, how are you getting it around, Joe? Um, well, being self-published, it's only uh, available directly from me. So I've been asking people to uh, to order it via my website primarily. Uh, those of you who have uh, who are local-ish to me, um, now that I'm allowed to be outside all the time, can have it. Uh, you've had it delivered by hand with uh, the appropriate appropriate distancing in place. Uh, and then I've yeah, been posting them out uh, to anyone else. So if anyone does want one, then have a look at my website, which is joewilliams.co.uk. And there's a page on there for This Is Virus, and there's a link where you can order it via PayPal. Or you can contact me via my social media stuff if you want to ask about it. Wonderful. And just yeah, before we finish, so did you, did you produce this as an explicitly political piece? Um, Yes and no, I guess. It's funny because it, it's kind of, it's almost like the political situation has followed the book since I, since I wrote it, really. Because what I wanted to do in the sort of, I said semi-narrative, it's what I mean by that is that as it goes along, the idea is that 
it becomes kind of gradually less coherent and things become more chaotic and it's as if things are just kind of falling apart uh, politically and with the virus situation you know it's in this version of the pandemic um, things go badly wrong and um, yeah the way that the government has been acting over the last two or three weeks particularly in the way that their message has become increasingly confused is seems to mirror what I did there somehow a bit frighteningly really um so yes it's kind of political in that sense although I didn't specifically mean it as a, a political attack more of a satire I guess great stuff Joe well uh, it's a really interesting book really interesting piece of work and thank you for talking to us um, thank you for having me uh, it's a pleasure always so you've cho you've chosen a song that a track to go with this um what is it and why uh it's a song by country joe and the fish and i think this song is about it's sort of about the reckless stupidity of leaders who don't understand what they're doing and have no clear objective and they aren't the ones who are going to suffer the the worst consequences of their actions so you know you can make your own mind up how that how that might be relevant to today. Yeah, come on, all of you big strong men. Uncle Sam needs your help again. He's got himself in a terrible jam. Way down yonder in Vietnam. So put down your books and pick up a gun. I'm gonna have a whole lot of fun. And it's one, like a two, like a three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. You force right boy who walks night corridors, staring into dawn's approach, following the shadow of death's lilting bell, mad at the thorns ripped from the stems of black roses, defenseless because the white man's ego is a fragile paper boat sinking, you son of Jamaica will square up your 17-year-old chest as the black cloth covers your head, your last sound, the thud of guns. We're here in Potter Newton Park uh, with Malika Booker, yes. who is the first of our writer profile podcasts for Leeds Lit Fest. Hello, Malika. Hi. Hi, Peter. Now, this place is quite familiar to you. We're going to be talking to you about place, in particular yeah. Chapel Town, this place that's really important to you, um, but also more broadly about what places have influenced you in your life and your writing. One of the, one of the recollections I have is being, having a commission and about world, British West Indian soldiers in the First World War and being stuck, having reading tons and tons of history material and being stuck in the house, just stuck and thinking, I need to get out. And I didn't want to just go for a walk, so I came into the park and sprawled out on a, on a blanket. And just it was summer, and I just kind of lay on the blanket and kind of um, started trying to write. And, and, and what's particularly poignant for me is that um, 
Melody, who um, at that time worked for um, Phoenix Dance um, fundraising, she passed through and we talked about what I was writing. Um, and then David Hamilton um, happened to be walking through the park with um, historian, black historian, um, uh, Joe, Williams. Joe Williams, with Joe Williams, um, which was just like apt. So Joe Williams is, um, is, is, a, is a historian all about, um, you know, African um, and black experience in the UK and particularly Chapel Town, Leeds. But to be working on a British West Indian soldier kind of um, commission, lying in the grass in the middle of Port Newton Park and the historian comes along with the two dancers and I'm thinking about the movement of the soldiers. Well, with one dancer and someone else who works in a dance company, it just seemed apt and we had a really brilliant conversation and then they left me alone and the first line started flowing. When you go to a place, do you, how does a place impact upon you? Is it mainly through what you see or through what you hear, or taste? Um, I'm, I'm very interested in um, always trying to settle within the Caribbean community. So I lived in Brixton for most of my life. Um, um, and before that, I lived in... I was born in Brixton and then I went to Guyana um, and came back to Brixton. So I'm used to being in a place where there's a high percentage of African Caribbeans. Um, so the first thing I want to do when, I, when I'm thinking of living in a place is find out if they sell my food. You know, I could go around the corner and buy plantain and dashin and, you know, and, um, and hear Caribbean accents and the carnival is just on the route outside my house and um, some Saturdays you smell jerk chicken, you know, through the door. And, um, and, but, but Chapel Town is not only a Caribbean community, it's such a, a diverse kind of um, place, you know. They're, they're, there's Asian, they're Irish, they're, they're various other, um, you know, nationalities. But I think my first thing is usually people and food. I want to live, I, I want to live in a place where I see representations of me all around. I was excited about moving here because um, I'd done a, a performance at Khadija's Ibrahim's book launch at um, West Yorkshire Playhouse and um, that night we went out um, and Paulette Morris and this band were playing reggae in this basement and they invited me up sta on stage and I was dancing with them and there was this Caribbean music and there was this vibe there and they were just like we we, we were excited that you're coming here and so um, I was excited to kind of move you know it's a community filled with so much there's historians just walking down the park or a dancer or you know a guitarist or I went to a party on Saturday night and he handed the mic to about 10 women in the audience and they just sang they could sing I mean you know I'm jealous of that because I can do poetry but I can't hold a tune I was doing a commission in London where I was interviewing elders about the experiences of Windrush. And I think living in Chapel Town during the Windrush scandal was quite profound for me. Um, it was quite a sad, a sad place. It was a sad place to be to see these representations of a lot of um, people in Chapel Town are getting old and they're the generation who came in the 50s and mostly in the 60s. Um, and then seeing all this happening as you're seeing, as you're watching physically, and maybe I think poetically like that, but you're watching someone who's buying yam in front of you who is 70 or 80 
or you and you're seeing people being put on planes at that age at that vulnerable age um, and there was something very profound in that Khadija is like my sister in poetry and my sister in heart um, Khadija Ibrahim she is a she is a, a, a poet who who um, is, is is born and grew up in, in, in Leeds and in Chapeltown, a, a Yorkshire lass. Um, and, um, and her book actually showed me Chapeltown before I came. She gathered stories from the community and wrote about and, and painted pictures. Her books are very much, very much narrative anecdotes or filmic kind of poetic vignettes about various things in Chapeltown and various people and characters and places. She's like the poetic folklorist um, um, of Chapeltown and she's, so she's a, a friend of mine. We wear, <laughs> we wear a lot of jewellery. We're both addicted to jewellery. We're both quite flamboyant and, um, and we increase and we are published by the same publisher, People Tree Press. When I came over, um, the thing that was the music that was resonating with me that seemed to be poetically kind of capturing what was happening in a city, Britain at the time, was this song Police and Thief, you know, Police and Thief, you know, it was like Police and Thief in the streets fighting against, and, 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 and there in the streets were all this, were the police, you know, I came in the time of the sus laws when they would stop and search, and this song just would resonate out of car windows and would resonate out of houses and was to me very very kind of poetic and captured what it was like to be a young black male in an inner city city at the time and actually it actually informed me in a way uh, this young girl of, of why the re why the rebellion you know why the I don't like saying riots but why that rebellion Reminds me of um, of Brixton and, and, and London at that time, and how ripe it was, and how vibrant, and how artistic, and how how desolate, and how people thought it was it was it was like criminal. But it was just a. I love Brixton. It's a beautiful place. I tell people I'm a Brixtonian. I'm not a Londoner. <laughs> you know. Um, so that's Brixton, and then. In, in terms of Grenada, there's this Grenadian kind of social national tune um, and it's, it's, it, it goes, Grenada may God bless you and every family party that you went to, inevitably, at some point in the night, Grenada may God bless you would come on and we would all dance to it or we got to teenage years, we'd all sit on the floor and go, oh God. Um, and the other day we had a family party and we asked the DJ, do you have Grenada? May God bless you. And we were laughing, thinking, do you remember when we just thought, oh God, not this song? And he didn't have it. And we were like, what kind of Grenadian DJ are you? Um, but he was a Trini DJ, which he pointed out. All you lovely people in Grenada Drinking rum and a coconut There is something in your land In your land 
no one can understand. Understand. There is something in your hair. Or is it your mango tree? Mango tree. You have something there that takes my heart away. In the Kanina, Pimaru, we are dreaming for you. Let us cry when everything dies. Rebellion, let God bless you. feel like you're a loiner? <laughs> What's a loiner? Is it a Leeds? Is that a... Oh, is that the phrase? No, actually, I don't. I don't, actually. I feel like I'm in a Caribbean place. Um, I feel I don't have the history. But, but, but I do... But I love... I love the North. I love... I've never encountered that level of friendliness, you know. When I first came, for some reason, I'd walk home from the university to Chapel Town, and I'd get to the top of the road for the... Well, I'd walk to the bus stop, and I'd get to the top of this particular road, and I have no sense of direction. I'd always turn right when I meant to turn left. And then I'd be meandering, thinking, I'm lost, and start kind of turning around in a circle. And inevitably, someone would say, you lost, love. That, I can't do a Yorkshire accent. That was terrible. That sounded like it was English wanting to be something. And I'd say, yes. And they'd be like, where are you going? I'd be like, I'm trying to get the bus to Chapel Town. And they'd be like, oh, you need the two or the three. Come. And they would like escort me like, you know, like a sheep, like a little lamb to the bus stop. And then I'd say, oh, what bus are you getting? They go, no, I was going that way. So they would, I could never, inevitably strangers would go out of their way to walk me all the way from, I'd always end up outside the central library for some reason in the turn, and they would walk me all the way back to turn. It was Clark Olsen was there, and they would turn me there to get the bus, and I'd be like, what are these people like? Um, and so that was, that, was, that, was, that was my first impression of, 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 of Leeds. So home is a complicated question for me. Um, I was born in Britain, and my mom and dad just were not... They, they'd been here since the 50s, and so when I was born in 1970, they just could not take... They didn't want to bring up a child in the racist environment that they were in, so they migrated to my dad's country, Guyana. My mom's from Grenada, um, and we lived in Guyana, so and my brothers were born. Um, and then... Um, in 81, when they were separating, um, with discussions with my family, my, my mom decided to send me to England because I was born here, and then she would come later with the boys. But the Citizenship Act came in, um, and we didn't know how that would affect, we didn't know how that would affect the boys. So um, while we were waiting to kind of figure out that, um, she went to Grenada and got a job there, and then she got a job in New York and went with the boys. And then it was felt that it was to uproot me from school to go to... Um, from the Caribbean to England is a really easy transition, but to uproot me again um, from secondary school to go to New York was quite, an in, was quite a harsh thing. So my homeland is really, you know, when I tell people I'm going home, they actually go where? Because um, if my mom is in Grenada, 
Um, I'll go and visit my mom. I'll go to Grenada's home, Guyana's home. I'll visit my uncles in Trinidad, that's home. If my mom is in New York with my boy, with the boys and my nieces and nephews, then it's Brooklyn, um, Brixton, and now kind of Chapel Town is becoming home. So, um, I'm, and that's why I say that I'm inside as well as outside because in all these places, except in all these places I've kind of been removed from them and then kind of come back into them so I'm kind of living in them but I'm I've, I've not I'm not grounded in them you know so home is this this is this it's this move it, it, it's kind of this diasporic kind of um, chow mein <laughs> You know, um, or, or maybe in Guyana you would say cook up rice or rice and peas. It's this mix of, of, of different flavors. Yeah. In terms of your writing, it's very rich in terms of the inflection of, of spoken spoken of speech. Mm. Uh, where do you think that comes from, Guyana or from from Chapel Town, Brixton, or is it a mixture of stuff? I think what what I what I've always been keen to do is to is to try and get the musicality. What I do notice is is what I I think from traveling around is that I I move from one musical rhythm to another in terms of language, right? So I would listen to the language and I would be like ah so and something I would do I would just be like ah so they say la 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 and go up or I, for some reason when people would, are talking there's a part of me that's almost musically scoring that Jamaican accent or that Guyanese accent or that, you know, I, I grew between Grenada, you know, my household. When I, when I went out in England outside the front door, they, they were like, you're in England. And when you came home and you shut the door, we were in Grenada. So, um, and I was, I'd grown up in Guyana, so I had a different kind of um, accent in a way. Um, but when we shut the door, it was completely almost like the house was in Grenada. So I, I, I think as a poet, I was interested in capturing that diasporic experience of even, you know, second generation or third generation British have it, where you're you totally kind of, um, what do you call it when you have more than one language? Um, multilingual. Multilingual. But you're more, yeah, you're kind of bilingual. Um, but it's in it's in it's in two vernaculars of English. So I'm interested in vernacular and in capturing that vernacular and cannot, capturing it through rhythm and sound, and speech. Um, you know, so in the so in the middle and and the way that you would be, you know, kind of talking and you'd be like, oh God, girl, the, did you go to the place yesterday? I told you don't go there. Yes, but we did go. But you but it's one person speaking and how you move effortlessly between these two these two vernaculars. And so I think I try to capture that in my poetry. Wait a minute. In this lovely paradise. You can watch the sun arise. Okay, so Malika, could you tell us about this place where we're standing now and what it means to you? Roscoe Methodist Church. Um, so, when I came to Leeds, I um, decided I wanted to go to go, you know, go to church. I think they say there's a certain time in life for the females in our family when all of a sudden. We go back, we, we, our rebellion stops and we start going back. So we're Catholic. So I'd go to the Catholic church, which is right next door, actually. 
um, to Roscoe. Um, and I'd been going to the Catholic Church for several months or almost a year. And I realized that I was like worshiping alone. I'd come in and I'd leave and I didn't, I wasn't, I would stay for the gatherings and stuff, but I felt that something wasn't happening, wasn't connecting. And for me, even though I need to feel kind of like an energy in the church or feel very friendly. So, um, so I decided to just, one Sunday I decided to just come to Roscoe Methodist Church. And also I was doing a project where I wanted to interview people from the community. So I, um, and someone had suggested, why don't you come into the church and speak? So I came into the church and spoke about the project and um, I was called to the pulpit. Um, and then the next week, I did Sunday, I decided to come back. Um, and I went, I walked in the door and everyone was like, oh, hi, you came back, how are you? And I thought, this is it. This is, this is the church that I will go to. Um, it's, it's very Caribbean, it's very warm, people are very friendly. And, um, and interestingly enough, that Sunday that I went back, there was a joint worship between the Catholic and the Roscoe Church. And so the, and then there was a meal kind of, you know, the, so all the people from the congregation, the Catholic Church. I felt that was very like, I don't know, like a sign do you know what I mean? Like, and, and the churches are right next door to each other. And a sign that it doesn't matter where you worship, just find somewhere that means, that feels um, family. Where are we now, Malika? We are in Maggie's nail salon. We're in the place where I get my nails done. Yeah, with Maggie, who is a... Um, Oh, it's amazing. Apparently you've got famous nails, thanks to Maggie, yes, right? Yes, I do. I get stopped everywhere, everywhere. I'm in, I'm in the airport in JFK. I'm, you know, I'm in Brixton. I'm in Carnival in Nothing Hill. And someone will be like, who did your nails? She does my nails. I tell her my problems. I tell her my, my, my dramas. I tell her my highs, my lows. And I come in and I'm terrible. I go to a, I don't know what color Maggie can you choose a color? And she says, what do you think about this? And then she, she matches it to my hair. And then she says, um, do you want this design? I say, do what you want because you're an artist. And then she just hooks me up. And I'm telling you, just sitting down, having someone take your nails and put color and just kind of like, it's like a, your nails become a page. And this person just paints this their own literature on your nails, really. And I'm always fascinated. I usually read while Maggie's doing it, and then I look down, and it's transformed into something that's beautiful. So I like bracelets. I have a lot of jewelry on. I'm very kind of flamboyant. And the nails just... Um, it just it just helps the tools that I use to write be beautiful. And, and when I'm performing, it helps me um, just, you know, gest gesticulate and and um, really wonderfully and also it helps that I'm a performer and I go on stage with and sometimes when I'm doing a special thing I say to Maggie I'm going to go on stage and I want it to be this is not flamboyant this is Maggie ordinary but yeah and I say to Maggie I want it to be seen from the stage and do something exciting um, and I, I you know a lot of my friends in London follow Maggie and wish they could live up here to come and get their nails done by her but yeah so um, she just hooks me up Leeds Lit Fest second year so yeah how was it the first year for you? 
think it's really important um, that a city like Leeds, with all these universities, um, you know, and all these different communities, um, have a festival and and have a festival where they start off thinking about it as diverse, as reflecting kind of the communities that come out of it and working with different organizations like such as yourself, such as People Treat, such as kind of like the rich kind of, um, you know, artistic talent that they have in, in, in Leeds in itself, yeah. Finally, we're, we're, it's been lovely to speak to you, Malika, by the way. It's been we've had a fantastic afternoon. We, we as Chapel FM, because we're closing for six months, but we're refurbishing, going next door, um, we're, we're going yondering, which and what we mean by that, if you look up yondering, it means wandering with yearning, mm. and which is a, a, a lovely phrase. And mm. so, we're, yeah, we're, we're not going too far, but we're going yonder. What's, what's, what's over yonder for you in terms of what you're going to be doing next or places you'd like to and maybe going to? I don't know. I think over yonder for me is, is, is maybe, it's always gone back to writing, isn't it? It's maybe branching out from the old poetry and playwriting, maybe, you know, kind of dipping into other, other kind of literary kind of forms, maybe attempting the novel, she says, or maybe, you know, a memoir or... But um, yeah, that might be that might be a good thing in terms of a, of a war. In terms of geography, just leaving my doors open. So I was here in the park and I was just trying to think about rhythm um, and I wanted to write into the, the, the poetry of World War One. There's a, there's a large body of poetry and I wanted to write into that. So I chose um, Siegfried Sassoon um, and he has um, these lines, Hark, thud, thud, quite soft, they never cease, those whispering guns. Oh Christ, I want to go out and screech at them to stop. I'm going crazy, I'm going stark, staring, mad because of the guns. And I choose a form called the um, golden shovel, where you use the last, the last line of each line of the poem uses one line from that quote. So the first line will end hark, the next line would end thud. The bells, the bells, that night you heard bells hark, the lilt and tinkle of death's sweet approach. Thud, those heartbeats drum hard in your chest, in your cell. Thud, memories of feet bolting to outrun guns in your head. Thud, your mother's body will drop the death news. Quite a thud on that wood floor, ball in your name, soft, soft, you hum. Dale, Dale, daylight come, mammy, one, go home. They, the other black men, will hum too. Day, me say day, me say day, never halting, till fatigue kisses cheeks and one by one cease into dreams of deep-lined palms, gripping rifles as feet charge, those memories of dallying with June Ann behind wood door, house, whispering honeyed sweetness, till halted by cock crow, how guns Christ, how seven black roses fell in your trench that day, oh frostbite, crawling lice and marauding mice, oh ceaseless guns, Christ, you are a broken neck cockerel in a breathing body. I am troubled with my head, you said, in defense of your flight. You want hard rain on zinc roofs or a chorus of 
crickets at dusk to halt the gun's booms that thud your body into a pendulum, go flee with fleet foot and blind terror, then kneel to pant out at last and free from the dig, dig of shovels and heft of sandbags, and I cannot stand the sound of guns, you said in defense. Christ, the screech of shells, the pound in pounder lashes your ears till you crack at the slaughterhouse where seven black men armed with shovels, them young cocksure strutting men cut down, left to shrivel in that mud to slip on death's news, on death's noose, or lay sprawled out broken till guns stop. Junan's face dropped the night you said you were going to fight. I am troubled, she said. Her pleas were dormant seeds on dry soil, but you're going still, despite her frost and cut eye. That day, fatigue halted the crazy pounding in your head. And during the hush, before you declared, I am prepared to die. A broken sentence, knowing you can't keep going on like this. And even death is a welcome friend in this stark hell. You force right boy, who walks night corridors, staring into dawn's approach, following the shadow of death's lilting bell, mad at the thorns ripped from the stems of black roses, defenseless because the white man's ego is a fragile paper boat sinking, you son of Jamaica will square up your 17-year-old chest as the black cloth covers your head, your last sound, the thud of guns. Thanks, Malika. So we're listening to Malika Booker out in Potter Newton Park. And uh, so, yeah, you had the first line of that poem here. Yeah. As you were lying yeah. on that day. Yeah. 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 Guns and ammunition. Police and peace in the street. Oh, yeah. Scaring the nation with The podcast you've just heard was made by Chapel FM, commissioned by Leeds Litfest and funded by Leeds Inspired, part of Leeds City Council. Each writer profile was recorded on location in an environment in or around the city of Leeds, chosen by the writer. This is Radio Free Kinsley. Johnson is said to be recuperating well in a large fridge, otherwise known as Checkers. He is not enjoying himself in his second home, as some reports have traitorously, nay blasphemously suggested. As the most keystest of key workers, he's continuing to lead the country from this large, well-equipped estate with luxury facilities, whilst 10 Downing Street is deep cleaned. 
Over the bank holiday, people enjoyed the sunshine and unseasonably warm temperatures in their flats, terraces and, if they're lucky, gardens. I went to Manchester where I met up with old friends, attended a barbecue and then an illegal rave. I also saw a number of live bands, none of which I can remember, but the last one had hook lines more catchy than the Smurf song or... I'll leave the rest of that joke to Frankie Boyle or Jimmy Carr. Then I woke up from that dream and prepared myself for another gruelling day reading. The search for the perfect pair of 1940s style shoes continues. Fashion police followed up several leads, including eBay, Etsy and Wish, but have so far drawn a blank. Brexit Bill from over the back called for face masks to be made compulsory in his daily phone call to his daughter. This time last year, he was calling for the burqa to be banned. Travel news now, and both Treacle and Bibbles have returned from their three-day safari in the Serengeti, over the road. Bibbles brought a sausage as a souvenir, but had eaten it by dinner time. Treacle sent me a postcard saying, weather glorious, having a lovely time, glad you aren't here. In entertainment news, the Kinsley and District Lawnmower and DIY Tool Orchestra have been rehearsing hard for their performance of Emerson Lake and Palmer's Fanfare for the Common Man, due to take place on Sunday afternoon, weather permitting. And talking of the weather, here's a look ahead to the weekend. The Met Office predict there will be four seasons in one day on Saturday. On Sunday it will be cloudy with a chance of meatballs, but the summer breeze will make you feel fine. That's all for now. I will be back later on with some late, very local news. Goodbye. And now we're going over to a live sex from South Emsel with our field sports correspondent, Cornelius Badger Beta. Thank you, Pasha. You join us here on a fresh spring afternoon in Frickley. Earlier on, the breeze was a fresh easterly blowing in from the water park. But it's eased and turned now, so it's a bit milder and blowing in from over that scrapyard that does purge your spares where we once got a pair of window motors for that old 205 we had. Still, nothing seems to have cooled the ardour of the assembled fauna. Before you wandered over, that mental whippet from Glynn's by the co-op was in, looking for next door's spaniel, but it soon became uninterested and shot off after Marjorie's cat. There's a decent crowd in the houses around. There's not much on this afternoon. Talking Pictures is showing a Tommy Handley film about time travel from 1944, where he's in evening dress at the court of Elizabeth I with a female Walter Raleigh, Pocahontas and jokes so mysteriously unfunny they must have been coded messages for the French resistance. Meanwhile, on Sony movies there's Seabiscuit, where Ray Winston's offering odds of 15 to 1 on Toby Maguire breaking his leg again. Well, here they come. First up, it's that pair of coloured doves that's always in the conifers. There's a bit of flapping. Ooh, she jumped onto an higher branch. She's flapping both wings in an elaborate courtship ritual. And, oh dear, she's flown off towards Poplars on Valley Avenue. That's very disappointing. She really wasn't having it, and neither is he now. But now, oh, here they come, a beautiful pair of robins that have been bothering with each other for a good few weeks now in our garden. She's perched on a spade and the crowd are loving it as she tweets majestically across the lawn at him and he's puffing his chest out. Oh, oh dear, that's a blatant display of her pudenda as he did a cry turn on the spade handle. Really, the referee should have seen that. 
the cloaca display sobres and you could see a dorsal ligaments. That's a side of the game we really don't need to see these days, I feel. Uh, oh, now he's been provoked into a furious frenzy of flapping and he pursues her onto the garage roof across into the hedge and she rolls with that challenge and he looks... Oh, yeah, it does. It looks like he's shot his bolt. He's got to be disappointed with his execution there. As my dad used to say, he wants to take him right back at stand and shoot him. So, as the female puffs out her chest and melts the applause of this packed bank holiday crowd, I'm handing you back to the studio for a commercial break. Want someone trolled? At Becky's Bile we'll provide a fully comprehensive, affordable service for all your online hatred needs. For just £17.50, we'll smear the reputation of your former boss with a slew of unsubstantiated rumours on Facebook. Or, why not try our Troll for a Tenor package, where we wrongly allege that her at work's been sleeping with your cousin. Live in a former mining area? We'll make out your granddad's scab during its strike. There's even our platinum package, where we give your ex-partner's name to paedophile hunters during divorce proceedings. Becky's Bile. Making life hell for less. This week on Sky Sports, it's Sky Sports Super Sunday with live lawn mowing from Upton at midday, with expert analysis from that nosy twat with a camperman who thinks he knows everything. John Scott's Flymo will be taking on Marty McCormack's brand new Briggs & Stratton powered Qualcast Concord in what they're already calling another quiet Sunday afternoon during lockdown. Then at three, we've got live pontoon from my grands followed by a couple of bands of new market for the kiddies before the big one at five. Carpet balls from Auntie Betty's. Will Uncle Bob avenge his last minute defeat on Wednesday when the dog nudged Auntie Betty's final wood next to the jack? Or will the oxygenarian with lupus triumph once more? You won't miss a thing, apart from 36 quid a month. Sky Sports. Believe in Desperate. Welcome back. Just before the lockdown here at Radio Free Kinsley, we've been just about to expose a local scandal of sham marriages in South Emsel. Just listen to this secret recording we made a few weeks ago in a former bingo hall. Dearly beloved... We are gathered here today in the sight of our Assistant Regional Operations Manager in the face of declining income streams to join together this man and this woman in a legally binding yet mysteriously opaque arrangement of matrimony. Marriage is on a conveniently situated estate instituted by our investors in a time of three consecutive quarters of low economic growth. I require and charge you both for exclusive of VAT as ye will answer on that dreadful day when the UK border force eventually get wise, that if either of you know of any impediment why ye may not lawfully be joined together in matrimony, thou shalt keep it under thy head. For be ye well assured that so many as are coupled together in this manner, I solemnly declare that I acted in good faith and according to the will of the free market, so help me the legal department. Wilt thou, Joshua Blessing Shomba, have this woman, Natalia Gabriela Tomateschi, to thy wedded wife, to live together, etc., 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 as long as you both shall, blah, 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 and so on. Let's just have a deal. Yes. Yes. 
Wilt thou, Natalia, have this man, uh, the what he said, to thy wedded husband, to live together, etc., etc., whatever, uh, to heaven to hold, so long as you both shall be in the building? By the power vested in me, I reckon that covers all the bases, and may the law have mercy on us. Well, as the happy couple leave the building by separate entrances, we're going to try and catch the Reverend Ersatz to find out more about some of the more unconventional aspects of his ministry here in Winmore. Here he is now, just saying goodbye to some of the guests. My pleasure, my pleasure, yeah, bless you, bless you, bless you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, great hat, yeah, good choice of outfit. It's the new, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, great organ, love your work. Oh, good evening, Vicar. Interesting ceremony. Thank you. I do so love doing marriages. Why is that? As a former sex addict, I think it's important to get a wife to avoid the lusts of the flesh. Hmm. Well, some people might find that view slightly unorthodox. Nothing is achieved in this world or the next by orthodoxy. I must say, madam... You have such beautiful eyes, like a rainbow in spilt petrol on pools left by April's first tears of rain. That's a rather florid expression. And don't kiss my hand. Haven't you heard of coronavirus? My immunity comes from a better source than Public Health England. Why, only last month I healed six women of their infertility again. Come again? Once... I was the world's worst sinner until I was saved by poetry. Saved by... My name is Ken Ersatz. I'm addicted to sex. I'm a filthy bastard liar. Liar, liar, bums on fire. Liar, liar, that's the truth. I've been a liar since my youth. I'm a liar to my back tooth. Lies shatter lives like the windows in a phone booth. I lied when I directed the RSC. I lied when I was head of ACE. I lied that day on the knoll so grassy. I lied, I lied, I lied. Liar, liar, bams on fire, fifth and Broadway, sunset and vine. This mule lied south of the Mason-Dixon line. But poetry turned my life around. So I quit my job as head of ITV and joined the Anglican ministry and fought the lies out in the field with my sword of truth for my trusty shield of righteousness and penance. And I rose from the ashes like Pat Phoenix from alcoholism. But then, once again, my poetry pen was lured into a den of iniquity. It was the old story. More tea, vicar. More wine, vicar. More sherry, vicar. More cocaine, vicar. More old tranquilizer, vicar. It was the old story. Old story, same song.
Same song, old story, but I rose again. I was saved again. My patio was paved again by poetry. My name is Ken Ursatz, and I have a new calling. That's a very moving tale, and what is that calling? I was saved by poetry, and my gift is to make infertile women have babies. That's a controversial, and some would say rather exploitative area, isn't it? Nah, no. Trust me, I'm a recovering liar. Tell me, do you always wear your hair like that? It looks so natural. Um, I'm I'm intrigued by this thing about babies. I was saying that some people might find this rather insensitive and exploitative. Since poetry turned my life around, I've made it my mission to spread love via poetry and prayer. For instance, Margif tell me that not only are you a very sensual woman, but also a poetic one. How so? I have what you might call a gift for it. I'll show you. Right now. Do it. Make poetry about your loved ones. Mm. Granny 1 was Lara. Granny 2 was Katrina. That's why they call me Latrine. Amen. Preach, sister, preach. Um, Mum was a cleaner. She really loved her job. That's why I'm my leader and my middle name's Supermop. Word, sister. Word. Hmm. Anyway, about these babies, how does it work? My way as a fallen angel redeemed by poetry is mysterious. Here, at the Bingo Jesus Evangelical Church and Garden Centre Limited, I reach out to childless couples, invite the ladies to intensive, uh, intimate prayer sessions at a local hotel, and then, six months later, they have the miracle of a child. Six months? I can see you have insufficient faith, despite your striking voluptuousness and poetic gifts. Mere numbers are things of this world. I have helped many women in this way, and they demonstrate their thankfulness manifold in all sorts of ways. Well, I can see some people coming to see you now. Yes, dear. It's a baptism party. OK, I'll leave you to see them. Reverend Ersatz, thank you. My pleasure. If you are ever in need of intensive prayer, my hospital of love always has plenty of bits. I'll bear it in mind. That's almost all we've got time for here on Radio Free Kinsley today. But before we go, we're going to go to the epilogue. Tonight, Pasha Taylor muses on some of the pitfalls of romance, relationships and love. I'm in love with my vibrator. Super silicone scintillator. Rechargeable batteries are a must for solo solid instant lust. Jelly feel jollity, fun and frivolity. No damp patch, no hospitality. It's always my turn. No more singleton bummers. Thank heaven for Anne Summers. Is sex at the turn of a dial. More colours than the spectrum. You can use it on your rectum. All this plus a ten day home trial. 
It doesn't ask questions or fat in its sleep. It does what I want, when I want, and it's cheap. It's clean and it's cheerful. It never gets tearful. And it's not frightened of getting too, well, you know, deep. I'm in love with my vibrator. Wonderful rude bit percolator. Love the haiku, love the sonnet, love the quatrain and the couplet, love the words, from East Leeds FM. <laughs> 